0: I think we're doing our children a disservice by pretending evil doesn't exist. And it seems to me fairy stories are a really good way of, as Jeanette said, um, presenting them within that container, that safe space and place. And and the beauty, I think for me as growing up, because I absolutely adored fairy stories, the beauty of them was that um, the way to overcome evil was in, the, in your character.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Books Podcast. I'm Alex Clark, and in this episode, I'm thrilled to be talking to acclaimed writers Mallory Blackman, Kamala Shamsi, Rebecca Solnit, and Jeanette Winterson. These wonderful writers have all written stories for a new series of feminist retellings for vintage classics called The Feminist Revolution. Four provocative, riveting, and urgent stories they are beloved fairy tales, remixed and revived for modern children and children at heart. Mallory Blackman retells Bluebeard in her story Blue Blood. Carla Shamsie retells the Ugly Duckling in her story Duckling. Rebecca Solnit retells Cinderella in Cinderella Liberator. And Jeanette Winterson retells Hansel and Gretel in her story Hansel and Gretel all written with compassion and freedom at their core. This conversation is part of an online event with the British Library and Vintage. Our huge thanks to them for sharing the recording. Grab a blanket and a hot drink, and we hope you enjoy. I mean, all of you in some...
2: some way or another seem to be grappling with this idea of the possibility of a fairy tale as an act of real perhaps even radical empathy of actually considering it from different angles um, and thinking okay so for example in in Rebecca's retelling of Cinderella that yes there are all these you know the, the stepsisters who we thought were rapacious, hideous, cruel, Actually just weren't having their needs met, weren't really asking themselves what they wanted out of their lives um how important was that for all of you that idea just to reimagine all the different participants in the fairy stories where we just see one kind of central protagonist usually um I don't know. Mallory, shall I I'll start with you because again, you've got this this ambivalence and ambiguity in your story
0: um well for me i it... The fun part of this was playing around with the original. For example, in the original, when Bluebeard comes home and finds out that um, that his wife, his new wife, has gone into the room, and he says, "I'm going to kill you now," and then she begs her other sister to go and call to her brothers so they can come and rescue her. And and I have um, Nia has brothers in this, but and and one of them who knows kind of what's going on, and one who doesn't. And I think it's 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 that playing around with. Um, assumptions and perceptions that I love so much in 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 uh, fairy stories i think I think the beauty of fairy stories from around the world is that they are in, they encompass all kinds of points of view all ki- all kinds of ways of telling et etc um, um which is part of the reason I think they endure and i and like you know I saw for example someone today saying that that um creating retellings of fairy stories perhaps um perhaps moves us away from the original and detracts from the original and I found that a really interesting point of view because I thought but how would it do that unless it obliterates the original in in the first place, Uh, what we're doing here is just creating reimaginings that sit Mm -hmm. alongside the original and it and as Jeanette said it's about the connection and the communication it's about. for me, it's about kind of taking the, the tropes, for, for example, and then playing around with them, having fun with them. Why not? And then sort of presenting new ideas and so forth. So I, was, I wouldn't be very interested in doing a, a, a cover version of something that was exactly the same as the original, because then why bother? So if you're going to do, do a retelling or a, reimagination, a reimagining, you have to make it your own. And I think that's what I loved about this project. It allowed us to do that.
2: But well, it's really interesting, and, and just bringing Carmela and Rebecca, and we just have that idea of the original. I mean, these stories are kind of folk tales. All of them, in some or other way, they've existed in many versions, and kind of the idea of an original. There might be, for example, a version that's the most famous at any point, like Hans Christian Andersen's Ugly Duckling, for example. But but really, they are kind of, as Jeanette was saying, the archetypes. Carmela,
3: absolutely. I mean, you know. First of all, we know these stories go through many different iterations, um, but also one of the things you do with an adaptation is I think you're asking people if they read your version. Inevitably, I think they're going to want to go back to the original as well, a lot of them. Um, so in fact, you're drawing more attention to it. Um, and you know, just to sort of pick up on what Mallory was saying, I think one of the things you're doing with it, if you're doing an adaptation, it can't be just for the sake of. You know, there has to be something you're doing that is different while still honoring the original in some way. Um, And and part of the way of doing that is to just shift focus, you know, or or to to show a slightly different angle. So with me, with the ugly Duckling, I was really interested in that relationship with the mother um, who first sits on the egg, brings her into the world, but then ultimately is herself so abused for bringing this strange creature into the farmhouse that she turns her back on her child and I thought actually that's a really um rich and interesting thing and and the idea that that might obliterate the original um is is such an an odd one because you're just you know you're you're creating different versions um of a thing that was already as you say a different version of something that was already there
2: Rebecca I you know you wrote this. or at least with your um, great niece in mind she's also the dedicatee of your book Um, men explain things to me that idea of actually passing something on to someone to a younger generation to someone close to you um, without being didactic showing a different way of looking at the world through your work how important is that to you
4: you know, I did it. I I definitely did it for her. I now owe her younger sister Maya a fairy tale, and I'm working on it. And um, but yeah, but I also wrote it because, or after I wrote it, I heard from so many people who said fairy tales have so much compelling magic, et cetera. But the principles in them are so terrible. We want something to show to our kids that doesn't reinforce that men hold power and women must get married. And, you know, the outcome of what happens to me and mine is very important. And what happens to all the rest of you who gives a, who gives a damn. So it was really interesting, you know, in a way I was writing it for myself, how do we work out what we love about fairy tales and keep it and let go of what we don't. And that felt like that was a big part of the job and, uh, you know, and Angela, you know, there, and there's so many versions. As you, you know, said, you know, these are stories that have migrated and mutated endlessly, and so they feel incredibly available. Of course, there are the feminist rethinking's of a lot of novels and things, The Wide Sargasso Sea and Jane Eyre and things like that. But you know, there is some maybe more aggression and taking ownership of something written by an individual than something that's kind of just composted deep into the soil from which we all grow. Yes, mm.
2: yes, exactly. Um, yeah,
5: yeah, that's
2: right.
4: We have so many
2: questions from, from our, our audience, which thank you so much, everybody out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into them. I'm gonna start with a question from Felicity, uh, which is an intriguing, intriguing one. Do you think the presentation of evil in these fairy tales has changed from the original to your versions do you think there is evil in
5: these stories it's
2: just interesting because that's always an interesting word to think about isn't it who wants to start us off
5: yeah i don't think we should worry about evil in the sense that it, we we have to deal with it and there, it is in there of course there there it, there is evil um and everybody needs to face that there's no point taking a pollyannaish view of the world um the world is as it is, and if it's in those fairy stories, that, you know, as I said to you, that's why I wanted to look at the, the 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 female, you know, not in her benign aspect, always, but in her greedy and controlling aspect, where she just wants to consume in a consumerist society. You know, you have to you have to face it head on and manage it. But the the story, the fairy story, is really the most wonderful container for all this explosive stuff. Mm-hmm. It will hold. And that's why we can trust it. You know, it's why we trust art anyway, because it's the it's the container that holds and you can put everything in there um, in a safe space uh, and let it let it do its work. Uh, and people can come away with it, you know, and they're not burned to death or, or disfigured. They can manage it, um, and, and that is a great thing. I think that, all, that art in all its various versions allows, but in the fairy stories, it's really there. So we don't have to sanitize it, bleach it, or back off. We can handle it within the container of the tale. Yes,
2: this does does strike me as as something, you know, there is, for example, in in Mallory's story, in in all of your stories, there is this kind of very great sense of menace, of horrible things about to happen. I'm really interested in what you say there, Jeanette, that that it doesn't have to be sanitised. It can be let to be there, even, even if, you know, you're writing this for a very young audience.
5: Yeah, and they love it. They love ogres being shoved in pizza ovens.
0: Um, I, I agree with that because i i do feel to be honest that um the fairy stories i grew up with were brutal they were absolutely brutal Ooh. they were talking charles perot etc and um and they were, you know, C- Cinderella story. I read, for example, that um, what, but he took one of the ugly sisters who chopped her heel off so her foot would fit in, and then yes. the other sister chopped her toes off so her, her foot would fit into this slipper. Blood gushing everywhere, which the prince didn't notice, and so forth. And and in you know one of the one of the many versions of Little Red Riding Hood I read, she got eaten. The end. You know, so <laughs> so I do feel that it is. We have to. I think we're doing our children a disservice by pretending evil doesn't exist. And it seems to me fairy stories are a really good way of, as Jeanette said, um, presenting them within that container, that safe space and place. And and the beauty, I think for me as growing up, because I absolutely adored fairy stories, the beauty of them was that um, the way to overcome evil was in, the, in your character. 9 times out of 10 it was in your character and if you were kind and if you tried to be good and so forth then generally you you overcame evil but it was very important to recognize evil in the first place and i do feel the recent um the recent move in some children's films for example where you have you have your villains and you have your baddies but they can't be dispatched as they were when i was a kid they have to you know they have to stumble and fall to their deaths, or something has to happen to them. It's not—it's not that they are dispatched by the the the, the protagonist of the piece. It's that somehow their own evil undoes them. And 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 yes, that okay—that's a—that's a message. But it's also I think I don't see anything wrong with the message that says sometimes you have to stand up and you have to actively fight against evil. And I do. That's why sanitized versions of fairy stories. I feel they they may have their place but let's not lose the original tone and bite of the of, of the original i mentioned
2: just just there that you know people of all ages can can read these stories and i mean i really really enjoyed them and i'm 52 so it's obviously not just meant for children uh, but somebody here asks i don't have a name but thank you very much for this question how is it different writing for children as opposed to adults and i suppose to corollary to that would be if you're trying to write for all ages um what, what's the difference Mallory I might start start with you there
0: well um as I write for children and young adults anyway for me it was no different so um but basically my my starting point is what kind of story would I have enjoyed reading as a child or a teen um and what would it have said to me what what uh, what what would I have got out of this and you know and and is it in ent- entertaining in and of itself I see nothing wrong with just being entertaining in and of itself so so I I got that's m- that's my starting point with all of this so uh, uh sort of older children and teens and and adults are going to enjoy this but well, I must admit as a writing for children and young adults I'm very focused on okay this is a, my book for teens this isn't my book for upper juniors for example And then tell the story, and then, and never ever talking down to children, but talking, you know, having a conversation with them, and kind of inviting them to come on board with the story I want to tell, and have their own discussions. And you know, as as um, uh, Kamala said, it's sort of like inviting children to read them and then discuss the stories afterwards and what did you get out of that and what do you think was going on and how is did his behavior affect the story and and if he had behaved in a different way what would the outcome what might the outcome have been and so on and there's so many great discussions that could be had from any of these books so that that would be my approach anybody else it's
2: you know much i found
0: that
3: that actually for, for me one of the guides was was reading the ugly duckling which I thoroughly enjoyed reading as an adult, um and yet I knew that you know the version that I was reading was one that that was also there for for children and and just sort of I think the tone of that um and thinking about how that work really was important to me in in working out how I was going to go about mine and and I mean the fact is as an adult, I enjoy stories meant for children, you know if it's well written if if the story is good, if the characters are engaging you know, you, you get right in there. So the hard part isn't the, the writing for adults part, it's the writing for children part.
2: This is going off topic, off slightly, but I have noticed in these last few months, and I've gone back to my children's books, of which I've kind of hoarded and taken from place to place throughout many, many years and read so many of them again. And I wonder if that's just something that's kind of speaking to all of us at the minute, you actually, that idea of stripping something back to its essentials, It's
0: kind of important, isn't it? I I think there is, and I think it's also something something comforting about going back to books that you grew up with, uh, but also there are so many fabulous new books out there and new authors and new voices. Um, Mm. So I think it's a combination of the two, really. Yes,
2: I have read new books too, I promise.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think it for a no, second. No, you're right. It's good to go back. I mean, it's good to just
5: you know, and and these stories, they are full of, uh, of of archetypes of characters, of situations that we recognize, and it's lovely to bring them back to a young audience that have never heard them before. It's just great fun. I mean, you know, kids are kids are fun, aren't they? And that's the pleasure of writing for them is of their delight in the story and their absolute concentration on it, especially when you read it to them. I mean, what, what could be more wonderful?
2: We didn't actually ask um, Rebecca, uh, you know, your dedicatee, your great-niece Ella, what, what did she think of the story?
4: You know, I don't have a clear verdict yet, but last time <laughs> I visited her, you know... Um, when we were both cleared for a, on pandemic principles, she read me Where the Wild Things Are, which is one of my favorite books of all time, Maurice Sendax classic, and a couple other things. So she's now six and reading on her own. And so, you know, when I first wrote it, she felt a little bit young for it. I was really trying to write something that wasn't too formidable for kids who were, you know, seven to 10, that the syntax and the vocabulary wasn't too overwhelming but I also knew that it would be read by adults to kids read by adults for their own sakes and et cetera. So, but she definitely likes that there's a book that's kind of dedicated to her. And actually one of the joys for me of writing it was I didn't, had never really thought about the fact that Cinderella's real name is Ella and the cinders are just this unfortunate thing that happens to her. And so my book ends with everyone reverting to her real name which is Ella and that was quite fun and uh, and I know Ella loves that and um who,
2: who wouldn't love a fairy tale in which your namesake was the central part I do just want to say I'm sure you'll echo this that one thing we haven't talked about and we're running out of time now was that each of these books have the most gorgeous illustrations um they're done by Laura Barrett with the exception of Rebecca you went back to the the Arthur Rackham drawings, which are also just beautiful. Um, but that, like, that visual pleasure was immense in, in all these books. Um, I've got one last question to ask you. And it was a very, very good one, I think, from Ali. Are there any other fairy tales that you are now tempted to retell? There's to put you on the spot.
4: I'm two-thirds of the way through the book for Ella's little sister, Maya, and, um, you know, all will be revealed in the fullness of time.
2: (laughs) So it's a watch this space.
4: (laughs) But on the other hand, there's almost no fairy tale one wouldn't read and think, oh, wouldn't it be much more fun if, you know, this happened and this didn't happen? Or like that's, you know, and there's a certain that's not how we do it nowadays. I wanted... You know, evil can seem too simple. I wanted there to be a reason, you know, the stepsisters were following their mother's orders. Their mother was a hungry ghost and kinds of explanations for things. So I think, I think in a sense, all of them. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd awesome. quite like
3: to go to um, Thousand and One Nights, something like Alibaba and the 40 Thieves and make them a, a gang of women and have fun with that.
2: So. Oh, hang on. This is that. That's got <laughs> legs. That's got legs, <laughs> Mallory. Well, what about
0: you I, I will wait to read um camilla's one so that, I, love that. <laughs> I love that idea so go for it
2: Jeanette. i mean you've just done frankenstein in a way in your last book frankenstein so what, what's next for you
5: oh uh, I'm, uh, it's not a fairy tale I'm doing some essays about artificial intelligence which is killing me I really need to finish um, because I need to decorate my house for Christmas it's driving me mad I want to get the things <laughs> you know one of the things that I love about fairy tales is, you know that thing at the end they all lived happily ever after and everybody thinks that's really trite but hap H-A-P-P, it It comes from the High German through the Old English, and it's really, hap is your character, it's your fate, and it's why we get happenstance and this happened. Look for where the prefixes are. Um, It's the faithfulness that comes in, which is not random, Um, it's actually connected to you. So... You're, you, we, they all lived happily ever after, which happens at the end of the fifth act of all those Shakespearean comedies as well, is not trite, it's not Disney. It's actually saying, what is the connection between you as a character? Which is interesting given that fairy tales don't really deal in characters. And what has happened to you from the outside world? So if you're gonna live hap, H-A-P-P, happily ever after, what is your hap? What is your fate? What is your connection? with what what has gone before, for good or ill. And that's what I love about them, so that even in the moment that looks like a cliche or just a bit of, you know, goodbye and thank you, it's not. It's a really deep message about our connection to everything that we do in the world that's real, imagined, human, animal, natural, and what that entire circumstance has done within the container of the story. And then off we go into our future.
2: Wow. Thank you. That's a wonderful place to end, although I
5: wish we didn't have to end. I can get the fire going again.
1: (laughs) Thanks for listening to this final episode of the Vintage Books podcast this year. We hope you enjoyed hearing from our authors of the Feminist Fairy Tales series. There's a link in the episode description to find out more about the books. You can also find us at @vintagebooks Vintage Books on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. A very happy holidays from everyone at Vintage, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts in the new year. Until then, keep reading boldly and thinking differently.